Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special two-part podcast series on K2 Integrity, Integrities Matters podcast. In this two-part series, we're going to look at Fraud Trends in 2022 with Olivia Allison, Senior Managing Director at K2 Integrity, which we did on last week's podcast. And in part two, in this week's podcast, The Future of AML with Kobe Bambia, Managing Director at K2 Integrity. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode in our exploration with K2 Integrity, looking back on 2021. Today, I'm thrilled to have back with me Kobe Abilia. Kobe, uh, what's your current role with K2 Integrity? I'm a managing director at K2 Integrity, and we assist clients around the world with financial crimes risk management. We work closely with financial institutions to evaluate their compliance frameworks in order to build, maintain, and mature the AML CFD, anti-bribery and corruption, risk management, sanctions, and regulatory compliance programs. Kobe, one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you for this uh, podcast series is on January 1 of 2020, the National Defense Authorization Act was, uh, President Trump's veto was overridden by Congress enacting it into law. And as part of that law, we had the AML Act of 2020 which uh, certainly I think, and I think most commentators agree, was the most impactful piece of financial crime legislation literally since the Patriot Act uh, after 9-11. With any new law, it's going to take some time to shake out the specific rules and regulations. But I wanted to start with, what have you seen over this past year of 2021? And equally, what types of conversations are you having with clients about what this new law has either required or what you think it's going to require? Tom, I believe that first and foremost, we should take a closer look at what is being at the focus of the U.S. Treasury and regulators. The U.S. Treasury indicated that there are a number of topics which were given priority as part of the national strategy for combating terrorism and other illicit activities. These priorities include uh, cybercrime and virtual currency, foreign and domestic terror financing, criminal organization, human trafficking and smuggling, drug trafficking, corruption, fraud, and also proliferation financing. So one important note, when we look at all those uh, uh, priorities, we can easily see that the list is quite extensive, yet there is something in common for all these priorities. And what it is, if you look at the priorities, they include predicate crimes that generate illicit proceeds, which in turn, criminal actors may launder through the financial system. As such, money laundering is linked to all these priorities and therefore combating money laundering remains at core. Our advice to bank and financial institutions is to incorporate, if they haven't been doing it already, these AML CFT priorities into their based BSA compliance programs, such as by assessing the potential related risk associated with the client base, the products and services they offer, and their areas and countries of operations. 
I'm pretty sure, Tom, that examiners will soon ask to see and review what banks and financial institutions are being doing with regards to these priorities. And if speaking of examiners, let's also remind our listeners that during this month, December 2021, the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council, or the FFIC, updated its BSA AML examination manual section dealing with the risk associated with money laundering and terrorist financing. Although the updates do not include new requirements, they do provide further instructions to the examiners themselves on how to assess the bank's BSA AML compliance program and procedures. Moreover, Tom, as the U.S. Treasury continues to issue regulations stemming from last year, as you mentioned, groundbreaking AML Act, banks and financial institutions should be prepared to face new and revised beneficial ownerships and obligations in the coming year. I believe that the December's proposed rule to implement the Corporate Transparency Act gave us all a preview into the Treasury Department's mind and approach to developing a national registry of beneficial ownership information. This should also act as a reminder to meticulously follow the beneficial ownership rule, which required covered financial institutions, such as banks, to identify beneficial owners of each legal entity customer at the time a new account is being opened and to determine the true beneficial owners based on both the control prong and the ownership prong. Looking ahead into 2022, beyond the immediate implication, the proposed rule will also require changes to existing customer due diligence obligations for financial institutions, which will probably be the subject of a future FinCEN rulemaking. Kobe, um, let me pick up on one of the points you mentioned, which is the bank examiners. And um, how do you help a client think through a preparation for an examination? So I, I think, Tom, that we have to look at what happened in the last year, actually in the last two years. And I think we all agree that COVID-19 has an immense impact on everything that banks need to do now with illegal activities and bad actors. And I want to speak with your permission a little bit about that. So only uh, two months ago in October of this year, FinCEN put out a financial trend analysis that largely surrounded activity related to ransomware, which seems to be where the bad actors try to get the most bang for the buck today. These actors target covered institutions' website. They uh, attacked systems and employees. And the idea was to steal both customer and commercial credentials, as well as proprietary information, to defraud covered institution and the customer and to disrupt business functions. And it is interesting to note that during the COVID-19 pandemic, we observed a significant increase in criminal attempts to exploit the pandemic through phishing campaigns and remote application to facilitate extortions, business email compromise, and other fraud schemes. And who were the main target of these attempts? The answer is clear. Those were both financial institutions and healthcare systems. And we found that ill-gotten gains from these illegal activities are then often laundered 
through a variety of methods which have all something in common. And what it is, you got it right. They're all being channeled and funneled through the regular banking and financial system. And Tom, this is exactly why the burden on financial institution becomes even heavier since this institution are uniquely positioned to observe and detect the suspicious activity that results from cybercrime and are required to report it through the normal channels of suspicious activity report. So this is something that we keep reminding again and again to our client. And I can also share with you that at K2, we have seen an increased need with our clients to process, review, and monitor transactions that go through their system and review them with a sufficient and comprehensive set of skills required to identify the illegal activities and to properly report it. We are working with many of our clients to provide these unique managed services. And I believe it is also worth mentioning the 2021 ransomware attack on our nation fuel and food supplies in particular, the Colonial Pipeline cyber and ransomware attack, which I believe we all heard about, and demonstrate how seriously we should take these threats and how taking down just one, yet crucial system, can disrupt, as in this case, gas supply all along the East Coast of the United States and cause quite a disorder and chaos. Uh, as criminal increasingly use sophisticated attack to target various sectors, including government, finance, education, energy, and healthcare agencies, especially since the outbreak of COVID-19, ransomware became particularly acute concern, and we should all keep it in mind. Therefore, it is not surprising also that in September of 2021, only three months ago, OFAC issued an updated advisory on potential sanction risk for facilitating ransomware payment, which is specifically designed and aimed to disrupting criminal networks and virtual currency exchanges responsible for laundering ransoms, to encourage improved cybersecurity across all sectors, including the banking industry, and to emphasize the need to properly report ransomware incident and related sanctions to U.S. government agencies including both the Treasury and law enforcement. This yet again highlights what I've mentioned, which is the need to properly monitor the bank's transactions for potential illegal activities. And one important note that I would like to add at this point is also that special attention should be given to transaction in virtual currencies or even conversions to and from virtual currencies as these currencies are the preferable one for known reasons by the cyber attackers. And since we mentioned OFAC, interestingly enough, but I should say not surprising at all, in more than one instance, ransomware campaign have been associated with advisor, advisor, advisory governments, sanctioned entities, or jurisdiction under OFAC regimes such as Russia, North Korea, and Iran. One last point I would like to share with our listeners is that if we look at the total value of suspicious activity report in ransomware-related SARS during only the first half of 2021, that amount was $590 million, which exceeded the value reported for the entire year of 2020, which stands on $416 million. If this trend continues, 
we are dealing with an increase of more than 180% in reported amount only over one year. So ransomware attack and cyber attack should be the focus uh, for all of us, including banks and financial institutions. And to conclude this point, since it is clear that bad actors are not going anywhere and are actually increasing their attempt, it is imperative that financial institutions step up the risk management and compliance framework in 2022, working to identify unlawful activities, report them, and keeping the integrity of our financial system. Kobe, let me turn to uh, 2022 now and ask you, how are you advising clients to not only mitigate the risks that you've detailed for us, but how can they get ahead of this ongoing rulemaking that will no doubt continue into 2022 and perhaps even beyond? Excellent question, Tom. And the simple answer is that, like with any other change in regulations, and the need to adopt and, and to successfully implement its new requirement, I advise my client to remember and follow the basic pillars of a robust and strong BSA, AML, and sanction program. Now, what does it mean? So first, make sure that your policy and procedure adequately address the new regulations and update and validate your BSA risk assessment accordingly. As always, the risk assessment should take into account factors like banks' products and services, its customer entities, and its geographic location and operating jurisdictions. Second, a designated individual that is responsible for the day-to-day compliance and who is familiar with the new requirement and also gets the full support of both senior management and the board of directors to these changes. This is what we call the time from the top, and it's very important. Third, update your current system of internal controls to reflect the change in regulation and test, yes, test that these controls can effectively detect and identify possible breaches of the bank's policies and procedures. Fourth, work together with your internal audit function to assure their yearly audit programs and scopes include the assessment of the effectiveness of the updated compliance program. I can tell you as a former BSA officer and a compliance officer that it is much preferred to be in a situation where your internal audit finds possible deficiencies, which you can then correct, than the examiners finding them. And fifth, training. Tom, I had the privilege of talking with you only a few months ago about the importance of training. And proper tailored and targeted trainings are always a key element in the ability to successfully implement any new regulations. We must remember that no regulation can be followed if it's only the responsibility of the compliance function. Indeed, and I agree, the compliance function has the ultimate knowledge and responsibility to ensure proper adherence to the law and regulations, but it can only be achieved if all employees do so. Therefore, it is important to provide the employees, your employees, with the appropriate tools and knowledge through training so they will fully understand their roles, understand and abide by their regulatory requirements, and be aware of any new trends and evolving AML law. So again, training is critical. Additionally, Tom, I think it would be fair to say that 
no organization or function has been immune to the job shuffle we see today in the market, also since COVID-19 started. Therefore, compliance teams, which are struggling to fill positions or lack the necessary resources, should call on their trusted advisors to help them bridge these gaps and to create an efficient and effective program. I can assure you that no regulator ever accepted or will accept lack of resources as an excuse to observe deficiencies or non-performed or non-executed obligation. That goes without saying. I'll end by saying that the world of financial crimes continue to evolve and our thinking has to be, as always, one step ahead of those looking to take advantage of our financial systems. It is not just about identifying it, understanding today's threats, but also being prepared for the threats of tomorrow. And with that, Tom, I want to thank you again for having me today and wish you and all our listeners a happy new year. Kobe, uh, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on K2 Integrity, uh, any of the topics you've talked about, or perhaps even to contact yourself, what would be the best way for them to do so? Absolutely. So please reach out, uh, go to k2integrity.com and you can find my information. Uh, Please feel free to contact me with anything we just discussed on other topics as well. We're here to help you. Kobe, I wanted to uh, thank you. Every time I get the chance to visit with you, I learn uh, much, much more. So I hope we can continue this conversation. It will be my ultimate pleasure. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of a special two-part podcast series on K2 Integrity, Integrity Matters podcast. I hope you will check out part one, which posted last week with Olivia Allison. If you want more information on Kobe Bambia or any of the topics we've talked about or K2 Integrity, you can check out Kobe on the K2 Integrity website. There's a ton of information on AML going forward into 2022 that you can avail yourselves of at no cost. The K2 Integrity website is www.k2integrity.com. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast series. It has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.